Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Courage Appreciation Month, the whole entire month of October. And we want to use this time to help encourage those who sit in the pew to understand those who stand in the pulpit. And so this month, we're going to have some tremendous interviews and some uh, tremendous testimonies that will help us to really understand the life of the pastor. Today, I am so thankful to be able to have my big brother, uh, Pastor L. Mike Woodbury of the Unity Baptist Church of Oklahoma City. And if you know the name Woodbury, you know that there's a long legacy of preaching, great preachers in that family. And so, uh, Pastor Mike, how you doing? I'm good, Pastor. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, yeah. We are doing a series on um, uh, preaching hope while going through hell. Uh, it's yeah. a new book that I have coming out real soon called Playing Hurt. And I just want to use these moments that we have for you to kind of share uh, with our audience some uh, a moment or a season that you had to play hurt, where you had to push aside your humanity in order to continue in in ministry and so yeah. i'll turn it over to you and uh we'll listen let me let me say if i can to begin with how appreciative i am to you for for being sensitive for for the lord allowing this to to be placed on your heart so you could put it out there uh <clears throat> what some of the viewers may not understand uh, before we actually came on, Pastor Gaddis and I were talking, and hopefully this will help some young preacher, or even if it's later on, after he and I are gone on, if some young preacher sees this and can benefit from this, then we've done our work. We've done what God called us to do. And so I'm grateful to God that Pastor Gaddis have the sensitivity and the heart to be able to think up something like this and to put it out there to be of help to some preacher that may be struggling or maybe young, maybe he haven't got to that point yet. Uh, but you know, there's some presently in ministry. This is this will right. give them uh, you know uh, a flicker of light that they can continue on. That's right. You know, and and so it, it's 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 great. And plus that. I would just like to say, as I tell people sometimes when I'm doing my, my grief seminars and grief work, uh, sometimes this allows me the opportunity to talk about some things that I ordinarily can't talk about because people don't want me to talk about things that may be painful because it remind them that, that if I experience the pain, then they can experience it too. And so they don't want me to talk about it. But it's these opportunities that gives me the, the time to be able to express what may be bottled up inside of me. Yes. You know, I've, I've lived, I've lived some, some good days and some bad days. And some of my bad days have been pretty bad. Amen. Uh, but I'm so glad Pastor Gaddis had asked me to be thinking about, so what I thought about, what I thought about is for those who do not know, who may not know, <clears throat> may not know me that well, 
may not know my story. Uh, my wife, my late wife, died of colon cancer. And colon cancer is, is of all the different kind of cancers, is one of the more difficult cancers to deal with. <clears throat> uh, dealing with colon cancer, I watched her go through many different stages. I watched her lose weight. I watched her, literally her body's, her body was changing when she was going through chemotherapy and radiation. Uh, but I had to, as her husband, I had to watch her. On this one particular time, uh, she had been struggling with colon cancer for a while. She already had surgery, had already been through chemotherapy, radiation, but uh, she was getting progressively worse. And so on this particular uh, weekend, she wanted me, and of course anybody understand by that time we had been married almost 22 years, she wanted me to stay at the hospital with her. So I had to make arrangements for someone to, to go to my house and stay with my girls because my wife wanted me at the hospital with her. And I had, uh, I had been working on a sermon. I had uh, did my hermeneutics and homiletics and, and, and exegeted the text. I uh, had a, a, a few uh, illustrations for the different points that I had. I had done my work. But that Saturday night, I'm sitting beside her bed because she did not want me to leave. And anybody who's ever been through anything understand how that is. Husband and wife, she didn't want me to leave. She wanted me to be there with her, to give her that reassurance, that love, that hug, that affection, uh, to give her what she needed just to be able to get through the night. So I stayed with her that night. And if you've ever been through a hospital or been to a hospital and had to spend a night, you don't get much sleep. You know, and and it can be very aggravating because people are coming and going all hours of the night, you know. And I stayed with her that night. Uh, we talked a little bit, but for the most part, I was up most of the night, knowing that that next morning, that next day, I was going to have to go and preach. And the sad commentary to me is that there were people that I preached to that acted as though they were surprised because I wasn't all excited and pumped up and I didn't shout them. Yeah. What they didn't know is that I had been struggling just to remain, just to keep my sanity, yeah. to, to be able to be a caregiver for my wife all that night. And so that next day, I wasn't even in the frame of mind to be able to shout them and to, to put really uh, from, you know, just using preacher talk to put my best, my best preaching forward. I wasn't even in a position. I wasn't in the mindset to do that. I just, I needed actually to be preached to. Okay. Uh, but it's those kind of moments. And sometimes now I go back because I keep, uh, I keep a copy of most of the sermons that I've written out. And many of the sermons that I go back and look at was written in a hospital room, oh, wow. either with my wife 
or with my daughter, my second daughter that died. Uh, those sermons were written while I was in a hospital room, sitting by a window, dealing with my loved one as they were literally dying. And I'm trying to put together a sermon. And, you know, <clears throat> I know in the black culture, uh, you know, we think in terms of uh, preaching as being, you know, you got the hoop and you got to celebrate and all that. Well, sometimes in those moments, you don't feel like celebrating. Sometimes all you feel like doing is just regurgitating whatever the word says and allow that word to minister to you as it seeps out to other people. And, and, and so sometimes uh, not only do people not understand, but I'm not so sure that even preachers understand that sometimes we're not in the, in the and Pastor Geddes and I have talked about this personally. Uh, I have my own uh, theory and position on that because first of all, uh, I, I think, you know, there's not, I'm not downing hooping if you have the gift and the ability to be able to do that. But what I will say, and I've talked to seminary professors and others, I don't think Jesus hooped. Uh, I, I really don't believe that Jesus hooped. Now, I, I believe he was a great teacher yeah. and he, he, he illuminated the word to help people to understand it in a way that they had never understood it before. But I personally do not believe that he was a hooper. I think that's a that's an African-American thing that we, we've done. Not necessarily saying that it's wrong. Yeah. It's just that we should measure everything by that, you know? Uh, and so I think sometimes preachers, uh, and I have actually had conversations with preachers that have said to me, they felt like that they flunked. You know, that's the term that you'll hear preachers use. They felt like that they flunked. And I said, well, why do you feel like you flunked? Because as I was preaching this morning, nobody stood up, nobody waved their hands, nobody responded to me. Well, that does not, to me, mean that you flunk. Mm -hmm. uh, the late Dr. Eric Mays uh, that I followed in ministry, in pastoral ministry, used to tell me all the time when I first got to Unity, son, you preach to an audience of one. Yes. You preach to make sure that Jesus is satisfied. Mm -hmm. And if he's satisfied, it really doesn't matter if anybody shout, if anybody stand up, if anybody wave their hand because you're preaching to an audience of one and that that changed my life and the way that i view uh ministry and preaching and 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 the way i viewed response to you know i had one of my associate ministers uh one of my associate ministers and of course i try to i have several i did at one time have six all of them are not there now but different pastors would call and ask me to send over an associate minister. So I sent this associate minister to a church. A pastor had called me, sent this associate minister to a church. Early the next morning, before eight o'clock, he called me. I said, what's going on? He said, pastor, I need to talk to you. I said, what's going on, what's wrong? He said, I went yesterday 
And I did everything that you had taught us to do. He said, I studied my lesson. You know, I, I prepared, I was ready. I was prayed up. And he said, I went and delivered the message and nobody said anything. He said, what's wrong? What, what was wrong? What did I do wrong? I said, son, what makes you think that they were supposed to say, man, those people don't know you. Yeah, yeah. They don't know you. Why were they supposed to say, hey, man, why were they supposed to get with you? Or why were they supposed to stand up and clap and all that? They don't know you, you know? And so I think that some of it has to do with our view mm-hmm. of, of preaching, what preaching is, you know? Let me, let me take you back to a statement that you made that just uh, resonated with me. And uh, all the years that we've been uh, uh, brothers and as long as uh, how many meals that we've eaten together, this uh, statement that you made about many of the sermons that you wrote during the period of your wife's illness and her death, your daughter's illness and her death and other family members as well, that many of the sermons were written under hospital lights. Yeah. And and so tell us a little bit more about how you preached your way through that, like being up all night and, and caring and being the caregiver, the number one caregiver for your wife. And then yeah. having to be the caregiver for your your daughter as well, and then having yeah. having young daughters at the same time, and right. and you writing sermons and you preaching you preaching hope, you know, and all intents and purposes, your life is 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 going in a whole different direction. So yeah. so so speak to that just so yeah. make sure we have that. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things, as you know well, one of the things that my older brother, Aglin, used to say all the time is as preachers, we have to continuously throughout our life go back to our call. We have to go back when, when it gets tough, we have to go back. And I thought about that because we at our church now are studying through the book of Acts again. This is about the third time. But what I notice is that Paul mentions the Damascus Road experience at least three times in the book of Acts. Why does he keep going back to that Damascus Road? Because that was his call. Mm-hmm. And every now and then when, when ministry gets rough, when life gets rough, when people are not encouraging, you gotta go back to your call and you gotta say, Lord, now, I remember what you said to me, and I remember what I promised to you. And you got to remind yourself, the only thing that will keep you going is when you go back to your call and you remember the Lord said to you, uh, who shall I send and who will go for me? And I raised my hand and said, here am I, Lord, send me. And if he sent me then, he hadn't changed his mind. So even when the days get tough and the, and the hours get long, I have to remind myself what I what I took on. That's the only thing, in my view, that's the only thing that can keep you preaching 
uh, in a difficult situation. You have to go back and you have to remember and even, I would say, even rehearse, you know, re rehearse the conversation that I had with the Lord when the Lord called me and told me that he wanted me to go on the battlefield. And as we used to sing that song, you know, I'm on the battlefield until I die. You know, I promise to serve the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's really important, I, I believe, your statement of remembering your call. Um, yeah. I know we came into the ministry about around the same time. And I remember um, meeting with my pastor and my pastor making sure that I understood that it was God calling me. Yeah. And it, it was almost as if he tried his very best to, mm -hmm. to, to persuade me not to come, you know, yeah. not to come to ministry. You know, he was, he said, go back and, and you pray about it and you make sure that that's what the Lord is saying to you. Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. you're saying is, is that that's what, got you through those nights that's right those dark days of, of of bereavement and kept you writing and kept you preaching and kept you praying and kept you ministering to people because you knew god called you and i think that's incredible my youngest son in the ministry my youngest son in the ministry when he first called me to tell me the way, and this is the way he said it. I was actually in St. Louis, my cell phone rang, and he says, you know, he, he calls me Pops. He said, Pops, I think the Lord is calling me to preach. So I said, you think he is? And I said, well, if you think he is, hang up this phone, you're taking up my time. When you know for sure that the Lord is calling you to preach, then you call me back and we can have a conversation. So long story short, he eventually got around, he's crying and all this, you know, but he eventually got around to setting up a meeting with me and convincing me that he is absolutely sure that the Lord has called him to preach. So I said, okay. I said, well, my son, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to schedule for you to do your initial sermon. I don't believe in calling them trial sermon. Uh, I'm going to set up a time uh, for you to do your initial sermon. I want you to invite your family, invite your friends, and all of that. We had a good crowd of people there that came to hear him preach his first sermon. I said, but this is what I want you to know. The moment that you stand in that pulpit and you publicly say that God Almighty, the, the creator of heaven and earth, called you to preach from that moment and from the moment that you preach your, your initial sermon, from that day until the day that they lower you in the ground, you are preaching and you can't stop preaching. If times get tough, you gotta keep on preaching. When, when tears are flowing, you got to keep on preaching. When, when family is sick, you got to keep on preaching. You got to remember what the, what the creator of heaven and earth called you to do. You can't ever forget that. You got to keep going back to that, you know. And when when you do that, that'll motivate you. Yeah, and 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 that I think is something I want the people to be able to to, to leave with those who are watching that 
pastors don't have it easy. Uh, no. Pastors have to have a stick to itness that yeah um, that causes you to keep getting up and keep making your way to the pulpit uh, in spite of what may be happening in your personal life. Yeah, and the reason why is because you've been called. That's right. You've been called, and sometimes, even though appearance will make you feel one way, you know, because one one Sunday I preached a sermon at at the Unity Baptist Church. I was I wasn't pastoring then; I was still co-pastor. Uh, I preached a sermon, and that particular Sunday morning, it was so quiet. Nobody said amen. Nobody did it. Everybody was just sitting there. And I'm wondering, you know, I had done the same thing preparing that sermon that I had done other times, and nobody was saying anything. And I was frustrated. So finally, I finished. I made my way through, and I finally made it to the end and closed the sermon out. <clears throat> and at invitation time, at invitation time, we gave the invitation, and 17 people came forward. Some for rededication, some to reunite, some for reinstatement, different reasons. 17 people. So I thought, what in the world is going on? Nobody said a word. Nobody showed any kind of emotions. So that helped me to understand that it's not always the way I perceive it to be. You know, sometimes, sometimes the reason why we have to continue to preach is because Perception might tell us one thing, but the Lord might be doing something else. You know. So yeah, it. We're gonna we're gonna uh, wrap this segment up, and I thank you so much for sharing. A last question I have for you is: How has uh, praying for pastors fellowship um, strengthened, undergird, and? Uh, and cause to put a little wind in your in your sail. How, how has it benefited you? It has helped me because what a lot of people not not just because you and I are brothers and we're literally like family. We spend time together almost every week. Uh, but I, I always tune in and listen uh, to your segments, and especially I like to tune in and just hear you pray for pastors, you know, because it, it, it helps me. There have been times lately uh, that I was struggling in ministry, and those of us that's been in ministry for a while know that there were challenges that I was facing with uh, cantankerous members, people, disagreeable members, and I was struggling in my own personal life dealing with issues and then uh, i watched as you came on and you would begin to talk and you would begin to pray for pastors and while specifically you might not have been praying for me but i was included yes you know because the prayer helped me it helped me it helped me to go on and and, and kind of regain my composure mm -hmm. and go on and and finish doing my assignments you know so it has been it has been a tremendous blessing to me, and I would just like to say, not only has it been a blessing for me, I believe that what you're doing and what you have been doing 
as far as praying for pastors, there is no credible pastor that will not or cannot receive a blessing from this. There, anybody that, that have pastored even one day, uh, you, you can receive a blessing from this because this is the stuff that helps us help one another. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter how eloquent you are. Sometimes you need somebody else to pray for you. It doesn't matter how well you can say it. Sometimes you need to hear it from somebody else. And so, uh, and it's important. Done, it's important. You've done that, a great that, job. That that's our that's our goal is to um, under undergird the pastor to lift up his arms and then to teach their members how to be Aaron and her for for their Moses. And so, yeah. Thank you so much. And, and I just want to uh, close out with a time of prayer um, because I think that. There may be some pastors, uh, maybe some parishioners who are listening to this, and the pastor has identified with your uh, with your plight in writing sermons to hospital lights and writing sermons while people are coming in taking blood and blood pressures and 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 writing mm -hmm. sermons while you're taking time off to taking time away from the books and the reading and the writing to just comfort your family and comfort your wife and your daughter and and those kind of things and then there may be a parishioner who who's sitting here and they that it has finally dawned on them that my pastor is a person too and that they could see us in our humanity while appreciating our ministry mm -hmm. and that's what these segments is about it's just simply to help uh, both pastor and parishioner, both uh, uh, minister and membership to really uh, understand the life of a pastor. And so would you kind of just close us out in the time of prayer and maybe pray for okay. someone who, pray for some pastor and pray for the membership that they will be able to come and partner together yeah. and understand the ministry better. Our Father, our God, we come into your presence, first of all, we come in the name of Jesus. Uh, Jesus told us that if we come to the Father in his name or by his authority, that whatever we ask the Father, he would, he would grant it to us. And so we come in the name of Jesus. We come first, Lord, to say thank you. But Lord, what we have realized in our time of ministry and in our time on this earth, is that even though things may get tough sometimes, even though things may be uncomfortable sometimes, as long as you are with us and we know that you're with us, everything is going to be all right. Uh, and so, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for being our God and our Father and for allowing ourselves to be called your sons and daughters. Uh, we thank you, O oh Lord, that we are part of your family. You have invited us into your family. And so what keeps me going, what keeps the church going, is the reminder that we are in the King's family. Yes. We're in King Jesus's family. And so, Lord, we, we thank you so much. And then we thank you, Lord, for sending your son. We don't take it for granted that, that your, your son was perfect in every way. 
and you sent him to this sin-cursed world to take on the responsibility of dying in our place. He died for us. He died when we should have been dying. And that's a privilege that we can never forget and we can never downplay. So we thank you for your darling son, Jesus. And then we thank you for the sacrifice that he made, that he was willing to suffer. He was willing to be mistreated. He was willing to be uh, falsely accused just for us. And then Lord, we, we thank you for every church door that stands open in your name. Lord, uh, the church still has power and the church still has authority. And so, Lord, we thank you for every church across the land. And I believe that some of the things that the world would be facing right now, the only reason that they're not facing it is because there's the church in that community. And the Lord is, is holding back what would have been released on that community because of the churches that are open in that area. And so, Lord, we thank you for every church. And then, Lord, we thank you for every pastor, whether he's a pastor that have been preaching a long time or he's a pastor that's just starting out. All of us have to remember our call. And every now and then, when things get tough, when things get difficult, we have to go back, as Paul did, and regurgitate and, and uh, uh, restate our call just as a reminder of what the Lord did for us, what he promised to do and what we promised to do for him. So we have to go back to our call. So thank you for every pastor and for every preacher that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask so Lord that you would give him power. We thank you, O oh Lord, for Pastor Gaddis. We thank you for the Great Bethel Church. We thank you for what he has been allowed to do and been able to do. We thank you for giving him the wherewithal to be able to invite pastors during this Pastor or Clergy Appreciation Month, to invite pastors to encourage other pastors. So Lord, the truth is, is we all need encouragement sometimes. And so, Lord, we ask that right now, may this be an encouragement to somebody. I was at a, as a matter of fact, he and I were at a meeting earlier today. And the lady said, if she could just help one person, mm -hmm. then she would feel like she has done her job. And that's the way that I feel. If we could just help one preacher, then our work is done. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that has gone on. Thank you for all of the blessings that we've already received. Thank you for what you're doing right now and for what you're going to do in the future. And Lord, we will spend the rest of our lives not just trying to encourage parishioners, but also encouraging pastors. But Lord, if the pastors are encouraged, they can give greater service. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for this day. We'll always remember to give your name praises, honor, and glory. In the matchless, mighty, and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Woodbury, and uh, your, you. your story and, uh, and the time that you've given us today is going to be a great encouragement to uh, pastors all around 
the world and all around the globe. And um, we continue to pray for you. And I appreciate our our, our bond. And uh, yeah. it's been a whole lot of days, and you know, where I just we, I just had to get in your presence so that we can yeah. work through some things. So thank you so much yeah. for for being with us today. Well, you, there, there we go. We wrapped up another uh, episode, and I hope that you'll stick with us throughout this time of Clergy Appreciation Month. It It is an entire 31 uh, days, and we're going to be uh, talking to pastors. We're going to be encouraging pastors. We're going to be strengthening congregations, and uh, we're going to uh, be here each and every day uh, to uh, to help you understand that pastors are people too. God bless you.